This is a podcast for first-generation Christian families. We don't have all the answers, and we didn't do everything right. But by God's grace, we are building a legacy. And so can you. You are listening to... We Met Geekla! This time around, we talk about trusting your husband to provide, choosing a birthing method, the fear of fatherhood. And how regrets are just part of it. Well, how should we set this up? I think we should talk about the church plant and blackjack. Ugh, blackjack. Reach out, touch faith. I was really excited when I heard about a blackjack team of all Christians. I was like, that's ridiculous. I play uh, on a blackjack team, most of you know. One thing that makes our team very different is that we're almost entirely made up of Christians. It doesn't seem like one of the most noble things a person could do in the world, but at least we can liberate the money from the clutches of those who would use it for ill purposes. (laughs) I mean, that's a start. far in the left field to think that someone would be a professional blackjack player, let alone have a whole team. And the fact that everyone we knew was in ministry of some sort was just awesome. So 17 years ago, I joined a card county team as in blackjack. Maybe you saw the movie 21 that came out a couple years ago with Kevin Spacey in it. it talks about the MIT card counting team. And that's very similar to what I did. I was on a team called the church team. It's documented in a documentary called The Holy Rollers, or Holy Rollers, The True Story of Christian Card Counting. That was a clip you just heard. And if you want to know more about that story, you'll have to go watch that movie. Maybe someday we'll do a podcast just on those blackjack years because they were crazy and a lot of wild things happened. But I bring it up here because it is the backdrop for our early marriage because I did that as a profession for two or three years while I was church planning. Here's a clip where I explained to the director of the documentary why me, when I was 25, decided to join a card counting team. You know, I pastor a church called Seven Hills. I'm trying to start a bunch of churches here in Cincinnati, Ohio. The best way to tell people how big your church is, if someone asks, you can just tell them, oh, we're running under 500 right now. That happens to be true if you have 15 people. I was in a transition trying to find a way to have enough time and enough income to start a church. And I was looking for a job that would do that. And I couldn't find anything. And then my uh, friend, he told me about this uh, blackjack thing. And uh, that through his pastor, they were going to learn how to play blackjack professionally. You know, so blackjack became an option suddenly. People are attracted to controversy. And that's one reason I avoid talking about what I do for a living. And uh, I play uh, on a blackjack team, uh, most of you know. And naturally that raises a lot of questions. First off, how could a Christian play blackjack? All the more, how could a pastor do that? You shouldn't have secrets uh, about what you do, especially as a pastor, but as a Christian on a whole. So it's been hard to talk to people about because it's a long conversation. And so basically you talk to someone for one hour and you think they're with you. And then they have a bunch of new ideas that crop up in their head that you already dealt with. So it's irritating to have to keep explaining the same thing over and over again. So my temptation to not talk about it is more for that reason than for someone looking down on me or whatever. 
And the reason the camera crew is here because they want to do a documentary about our blackjack team. And, and one thing that makes our team very different is that we're mainly, almost entirely, made up of Christians. And our motivation for what we do is that we'd see the kingdom go forth. And the way we try to work is in a way that glorifies God. And what I'm hoping will come of this is that people will see that the gospel absolutely, positively changes everything. And that redemption can uh, creep into the most unexpected places. You couldn't find another job? There wasn't anything else? Um, That's super funny to me now because I'm sure there were plenty of things that you could have done besides professional card counting uh, (laughs) to provide for our family. Um, But, you know, I just... I remember you bringing it up to me, and I was just like, okay, you know, (laughs) just like willing to do these very different um, options. It is pretty insane looking back on it that I thought this was the best option for our situation. And what I was trying to balance was two things. One was a call to church planting. We wanted to plant churches in Cincinnati that would reach men and would reach uh, people that churches weren't reaching, people like my own family, liberals, just different parts of the demographics that I thought uh, churches were neglecting for whatever reason. So that was a, a call that I felt like I had in my life, and we had moved into the Gaslight District of Cincinnati to accomplish that and was pursuing church planting through the Acts 29 network back then. We came in to the network at Matt Chandler's church out in Texas at a boot camp out there. And we also had come to this conviction. It was time to start having children. So I was trying to balance uh, plenty of church and having children. And I had made a promise to you that if you would have babies, you would never have to work again. And I'd do whatever it took to get you home to nurture and take care of our kids. And I was having a hard time figuring out how I could get a job that paid enough to do all that. And then here comes this opportunity to play blackjack. I work through, or at least I think I work through the moral issues, and I go for it. And to my shock, you stand behind me, you support me, and it actually did open the door to you coming home once we finally had Hudson. But it wasn't a silver bullet. There's still a lot of things for us to write. And you've told me that it was hard for you to trust me to provide for you. It was really hard for me to trust that you would cover all of our living expenses and, you know, provide for the things that we wanted to go do. I think it was a control thing for me. I think I wanted to have some sense of contributing and that I was making a difference or that we were equal partners or something along those lines. And having a dollar amount attached to that really, I think it it made me feel like I was valued and I was valuable because I was bringing in X amount. When I was phasing out of the workforce, it caused a a bit of a crisis within me. Anxiety rose up and it it brought me to a place where I just had to trust that God would provide through you and that, that I was giving up that sense of control because, I mean, 
really, are we really in control of that? Like, even if I was continuing to work in the hospital as an RN, like, something could happen. Something could happen to me. I could get, I don't know, stabbed with a needle and get some sort of illness because I contracted it through a dirty needle. Or um, I could get injured from, you know, lifting patients and hurt my back. I mean, that's something that happens to so many nurses. And, you know, we kind of fool ourselves into thinking that we're in control of things that we're not in control of. And ultimately, we have to rest everything on the Lord and trust that God is going to provide for us. And he does that through means, and you were that means. There's a passage in Matthew that Jesus is talking to his disciples and and um, talking about, like, how the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, like, how the Heavenly Father provides for them and how the Lord will provide for you because you are his child And so that was a great comfort to me and still is. I kind of feel like it's my life first because, you know, just in different seasons of life, that same kind of anxiety bubbles up. Maybe it's not always money that is the cause of it, but there's, you know, a worry that comes up and I get anxious and then I just go back to that and think, okay, I'm the Lord is my father and he will take care of it. He will take care of me. He will provide everything that I need, and I don't need to worry that it's not profitable. It's not going to change, you know, a hair on my head, and that I just need to rest in that. So we made plans for you to exit the workforce, to exit nursing, and to come home and take care of Hudson. But first things first, we actually had to get all the way through the pregnancy and deliver him. And that meant making a decision on how we're going to go about that. We had never had a baby, so everyone gets bunches of books and reads lots of websites and considers all the options. And we ended up settling on home birth. Yes, and that was a funny thing to stumble upon and settle upon because up until that point, like I had no experience with babies or kids. I had babysat like a handful of times growing up. I was the youngest in my family and I had a few younger cousins, but I really didn't have much experience with kids. So the way that I first heard about home birth, when I was in nursing college, I had a classmate who gave a presentation on home birth in our life development class. He was married and I think they had like four or five kids and they had a number of their kids at home. So he gave a presentation on the benefits of a home birth and they did not like it. I remember that was a big controversy in our class because the teacher ended up, you know, giving him a C because she didn't like the content because, you know, medical based model here. And so he went and appealed and argued his case, and they bumped it up to like a B plus or something. And he was livid even still. But, you know, that was my first interaction with somebody who had advocated for a home birth. And then fast forward to when we were trying to get pregnant, we had some friends that they had had several home births. So it intrigued me, and it made logical sense to me because the whole 
motivation is like, here you are in your home with, you know, the normal bacteria that your body has been exposed to and your baby's been exposed to. So let's have this baby here because, you know, you're not going to be exposed to weird bacteria or fungi or whatever. And then the idea that like, this is the way that you're body was designed, that God had intended for you to have a baby, that this wasn't some like weird process or abnormal process, but this was this was a natural way for you to have a baby. So I was really interested. So the more that I read and and looked into it, the more I was convinced, like, yeah, this is what we should do. I don't recall being thrilled with home birth at first. Is that right? That is right. <laughs> okay. Um, how, how did that go down? I, I just can remember thinking it wasn't safe. We ended up taking Bradley birth classes, childbirth classes. So Bradley is a system uh, that involves the father mm-hmm. of the child actively in during the pregnancy w- and with an eye towards the labor as mm-hmm. well. And so it's it's a couple's training, a couple weeks it goes and – we started doing that. Yeah. So after we did that. To be that, clear, I didn't want to do that either. Yeah. But I wanted to be a good dad and I didn't want to fail my wife. So I agreed and I went. But I was in the inside of not exactly excited about this. Right. So we had gone to Bradley birth classes for I think two or three meetings and then – you said to me that you were convinced about doing a home birth. And so you were open to doing a home birth with a midwife present. I said, okay, well, here's her number. You call her and set up the appointment because last time I had to cancel because you didn't want to meet. Tell us about your favorite moment during our Bradley birth classes. I don't know if it's my favorite moment. Because it involves me looking at naked Amazonians. So they would have us watch birthing videos. And one of these birthing videos, and you have to imagine we're in someone's basement. There's like a TV. There's probably four or five couples. And we're watching this video. These Amazonians give birth. And this woman's like standing up. And she's like pulling a baby out of her. And she's naked. And she's giving birth. And it was beautiful. It was like a lagoon with a waterfall and everything is lush and green and she's standing there. <laughs> she's standing there pulling a baby out of her. I don't care if she's in a desert, a waterfall, or like in was, outer space. It was, I'm just saying it was just kind of a funny like they make it look so beautiful and exotic and it's like – and she's in labor. And she's not making noises like a normal human being would make. She's just super chill and she's like pulling this baby out of her and – we're all watching all the guys. We're shrinking down in our chairs because we're like, is this appropriate? Is it okay for us to see a woman nude like this pulling a baby out of her? Um, and then just the, 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 the look on her face was very disconcerting to a man. So anyhow, we're watching this and one of the fellas had just gotten back from a tour of duty in Afghanistan. So this is uh, 2006 and – the video ends, baby's born, we all watch it, and Julie says, who's our instructor, uh, what do you all think about this? And all of us guys didn't want to talk, but the guy that got from Af- got back from Afghanistan, he speaks up. 
And he says, <laughs> he says something like this. I'm not going to get it exactly right. But he says like that he's seen one of his friends get hit by a mortar round and just totally explode into kind of a just a mist of blood with eyeballs and fingers and things swirling in it. Eviscerated. Basically. Eviscerated is what he says. And this video that I just saw is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's how we all felt. And and so as men, you know, what we con- are most concerned about is that our wife is safe and that our child is safe. And we'll find ourselves in situations that we don't really want to talk about. I don't want to talk about placentas. I don't want to watch my wife really give birth. Like I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, but I do want to make sure she's safe and that my child is safe. And as I sat there in that class, I thought I'm really pretty well convinced that this is a very safe method and a good option for people to, uh, to pursue. So that's how I got one over to it. It made me incredibly happy. What was it like being pregnant for the first time? I'm a dude, so I've never been pregnant, but I've watched you be pregnant a couple times. What was it like? The first time. It was the beginning of me coming into my own, like a caterpillar in the cocoon awaiting to emerge as a butterfly. I had no idea how transformative it would be. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul says that a woman will be saved through childbearing. Now, that isn't talking about salvation and justification, having a right standing before God. It's talking about sanctification, the working out of your faith, about growing in holiness about how God molds you and shapes you into his image, making you more like Christ. I didn't anticipate how being pregnant was the first way that I would die to myself, putting my child first. Suffering nausea, heartburn, swollen feet, a lack of space for my lungs, for an ever-expanding belly. But not really an expanding belly. It was an expanding womb, a house for my unborn child. I got to feel his flutters and flips his hiccups and stretches, all while he was nestled safely inside me. Rocked to sleep as I walked, comforted by my heartbeat. It was a beautiful experience. I will treasure it for all eternity. Being a professional blackjack player required that I would have to fly off to Vegas or Atlantic City or to Tunica or Biloxi or just different parts of the country to get my hours in, uh, card counting. And it would be 16 hours a day, sometimes 20 hours a day of just grinding out to make the money I needed to pay our bills. And I would disappear for three to five days and I would come back a little fried and I would just sit down and watch, you know, some movies. You know, I, I remember watching Battlestar Galactica a lot back then. But one day I decided to watch... Adam Sandler's click and it had an effect on me that I did not foresee. The basic premise of the movie is Sandler gets a magic remote control that allows him to fast forward, rewind and slow-mo different parts of his life. It's a mediocre movie. It's only funny in spots and not especially deep. And yet it ended up causing me to have a complete emotional meltdown In the movie, Sandler's demanding career interferes with his ability to spend time with his family. So this introduction of a magic remote allows him to get everything done. However, he begins to use the remote to skip portions of his life, such as 
boring conversations with his kids. Uh, the remote goes into a sort of autopilot, has like an AI function, and begins skipping over large periods of time because those are the times that Adam Sandler doesn't value, or at least his character anyhow. Consequently, his character ends up missing out on his kid's childhood, and his marriage falls apart. He's alienated from those he loves, especially his children. That all leads up to a scene, and it's the one that triggered something deep in me. The remote transports Sandler to the future wedding of his son. He sees his now-grown daughter dancing with her stepfather. Sandler compliments her as she walks away. She refers to her stepfather as dad. That shocks Sandler. His own daughter thinks of another man as her father. The shock was so intense it causes Sandler to have a heart attack. This was a scene that caused me to start to erupt into, I think, what I would call sobbing. Just uncontrollable sobbing. It came out of nowhere. I hadn't even really been that engaged in the movie. I was tired. I'd been traveling a whole lot. But I was so loud that my very pregnant wife came into the room to see what was going on. I was not given to crying. I didn't cry at funerals. I didn't cry when I had to put my own dog to sleep. I didn't just cry. Thus, my wife was stunned to find me crying. So was I. The embarrassment of it led me to retreat to our bedroom. She followed and tried to comfort me, and she asked, I think, what's wrong? I honestly didn't know. It was a dumb Adam Sandler movie. What was happening to me? I remember thinking that. I eventually realized that this movie had tapped into some of my own subconscious fears. The birth of Hudson was only a few weeks away at this time. The reality of fatherhood dominated my mind. I was scared of screwing up. My own father wasn't a good example. He was a very permissive man. It was rare for him to discipline me or my two brothers. He struggled to hold down a job. My mother was the key breadwinner in our home. He was an addict. The rent money often went to the local casino, so on and so forth. I need to pause here for a moment. I'm not hating on my father. I love my dad. My dad gave me what he had. He grew up in a broken home. And my grandfather was a truly abusive man, a man who failed my father and my cousins and a lot of my loved ones in some very significant ways. My dad, however, gave me whatever he had. And he did manage to move the football a little down the field. However, he could only give what he had, and he did largely fail to prepare me for adulthood. And that's why Click got to me. I didn't want to repeat my father's mistakes. I didn't want to be like Sandler's character, a failed father. I've shared this story several times and found many men have had similar experiences, though maybe the movie or story is different. For example, uh, a very perceptive uh, African friend of mine once told me they had to be escorted out of a viewing of The Lion King. He said when Mufasa died, he started to cry uncontrollably and he had some sort of like usher come down and say, hey, sir, you got to be quiet. He couldn't be quiet. So they actually asked him to leave. I said, man, what, what was that all about? And he just said that we were a fatherless nation. We were a nation without dads and the loss of our fathers was something that men felt men should become men 
before they become fathers. But when they become a father, they know there's a baton they're supposed to hand off to a son. And if they don't have it, man, do they feel it. And I felt it. I do. But God is a God of grace. And those of us that come from a heritage of hell, by the grace of God, can create a heritage of heaven. And that was the start of a brand new house of foster, right? Casa de Foster. Hudson was going to grow up with a dad who feared God, with a dad that read the Bible, with a dad that cherished church and believed that Jesus Christ was the way and the truth in life, and no man could come to the Father except through him. That experience provided insight to my own struggles and made me want to double down on being a godly father. And that's just how it is for those of us who are first-generation patriarchs, who are starting something brand new. And God has shown himself to be very faithful. So if that's the category you find yourself in, don't sweat it. It's hard, but you can do it by the grace of God. So you were very pregnant. You were pregnant with Hudson. I was in Las Vegas when your water broke. What happened? So I woke up about 5 a.m. and felt like I needed to go to the bathroom and ran to the bathroom. And my pants got wet as I went. And I realized that I didn't have to use the restroom. It was that my water had broke. And so, of course, I was excited because, one, my baby was coming. But, two... It was my weekend to work as an RN, so I got to call in and say, I'm not coming in. I'm having a baby. (laughs) So I was really happy for that. Um, The other thing was it was your mom's birthday. So I was over the moon because I thought, oh, this is going to be so sweet. He's going to be born on his grandmother's birthday. And I waited a little while and then called her. She was out in Colorado at the time, so, you know, to be considerate of the time change and all. And so we were all excited, and um, he ended up taking his sweet time, and he ended up not being born until the following day. (laughs) So me and my friend Ford are on a red eye back from Vegas. This is my first trip out there. It had been a very challenging trip. And we land in CVG here at Cincinnati, and I turn my flip phone on, my cell phone. And the text message that comes across is that my wife's water's broke. We're having a baby. And I say out loud as everyone's standing up to grab their luggage, I'm having a baby. And everyone laughed at me. And <laughs> I was really embarrassing. But but they all let me walk off the plane and Ford walk off the plane. And then we, we went out in our ride, Sean. Uh, he had showed up and we raced down to the Gaslight District to to my house uh, where Emily was currently in, in labor. And things kind of slowed down. Mm-hmm. So when I came home, what was the situation I found? Well, my water had broke, but my contractions hadn't really started. So I was just kind of walking around waiting for – the action happen and I think by early afternoon I was having some light contractions but of course since this was my first pregnancy I thought I was going to die and <laughs> we had called our midwife and she had came over and I remember her looking at me and and I was like 
you know, talking about the contractions. She just looked at me and she was just like, this is nothing. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, <laughs> it's about to happen. So that goes on for a long time, long, long time. And uh, so at one point even, we <laughs> to help you get some rest, we – it was like whiskey or something we gave you. You gave me Jägermeister. <laughs> Jägermeister. Oh, my goodness. Again, a perk of the job, you know, you would get um, free alcohol. I like was the- comped by the casinos. <laughs> and I we had we had a bottle of Jägermeister, I feel like, in our freezer for years. Yeah, because it's that. nasty. It's pretty gross. <laughs> Anyhow, that was uh, the alcohol was there. She would metabolize it so it wouldn't pass on to the baby, but it would also help her relax. Yeah, I was kind of freaked out about taking it. And my midwife was like, no, it'll just burn through your system, but it'll help you chill out and sleep. I was like, okay. And it did. It worked great. There was a complication. Is at one. There was a complication. At one point, uh, Hudson, his heart rate had dropped. It's not a big deal for a baby's heart rate to go up. That happens quite often. But if a heart rate drops, that is very concerning. It usually means there's something wrong, uh, especially uh, something like there being some sort of constriction, right? Like someone's being choked by a cord or something like that. And we decided to go to uh, the emergency room because we just didn't have a really solid Doppler that could pick up the heart rate and know what was going on. Ironically, to the hospital where I worked at, which was up the road about five minutes. And, you know, I was all excited about calling off and not having to go into the hospital. Lo and behold, I did have to after all. So we get there. What happens? Um, Well, leading up to getting there. My midwife has me get in basically the downward dog position in the back of the minivan, and we drive to the hospital. Um, What we think probably happened was Hudson really loved to keep his fist up by his face, kind of by his mouth. And we think what was happening in hindsight was he was trying to come down through the birth canal, but also keep his hand up. And he was getting stuck. Um, so by the time that we got to the hospital, they put me on the monitor and he was just perfect the entire time that we were there. So we think that because of the position that she put me in, that it gave him enough wiggle room to get out of whatever kind of wedge situation he was in. But that's not how the doctor, the doctor who was a resident, was seeing it. She thought that Emily was having preeclampsia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what it was? And we had been well coached by our midwife. On and our Bradley instructor. Yeah. And, and I asked her. She said, well, her blood, her blood pressure is high. I was like, well, my blood pressure is high. Do I have preeclampsia? <laughs> And I asked her if she had any protein in her urine, and she didn't. And that seemed to offend the doctor that even knew to ask that. And that was, again, just by having a really good midwife. Um, So, But it was clear with the monitor that we had there that the baby was fine, Emily was fine. And that doctor was like, well, I want to know what your wife thinks. And I said, well, have at it. (laughs) Ask her. She's going to be more intense than I am. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like – actively in labor at this point and having lots of contractions. And I'm like, 
He speaks for me. We're on the same page. I'm good. Yeah. And I have no problem with experts. I have no problem with trusting doctors, actually. Uh, but they should be able to answer my questions. And if they can't, well, that's concerning. So we decided we had a pretty good grasp on the situation. And we signed a against medical advice form. And we went home. And we had a water birth. And Hudson was born. And the hospital bills were all paid by my insurance company. You know, they try to scare you by saying like, oh, if you go home against medical advice, it's not going to be covered. Well, they covered it. It was about 40 hours of active labor. Is that right? 41. What was it like to hold your baby? It's really hard to put it into words. It makes me kind of tear up just thinking about it. It was so special. You know, somebody you've daydreamed about and wanted to know what they look like and how they would feel and smell and sound. And then there they are. And you just want to hold them to your chest and kiss their little forehead and breathe them in deep. It's like a dream coming true. I was inside the tub. We did a water birth. So I was there. I caught little Hudson when he came out, handed him over to my wife. And it was a beautiful thing to see my own son and see my wife go through this transformation. Because when a woman becomes a mother, she goes through a transformation. Days later, I felt the weight. I felt the weight of being not just a husband, but being a father, not just a man, but a family man, and having all these things to take care of. I would, in time, come to question the value of being a pastor and being part of the blackjack team. I knew I had a calling. I just, it was a matter of timing. It wasn't the right time. And I needed to do what was best for my, my family. So I made some hard decisions. Years later, This American Life, which was one of my favorite radio shows of all time with Ira Glass, caught up and asked if I would do a retrospective on the card counting team. And I agreed to. This is a clip from it. Throughout it all, playing blackjack never stopped being a little strange for the Christians, trying to make money surrounded by almost every temptation. Free booze, plane tickets, beautiful prostitutes, easy money. But they had to stay focused on their job, counting cards. For some, it was lonesome, like Jesus in the wilderness. Here's Mike in the desert of Las Vegas. It's funny, I, I talked to one of the guys on the team about what I did and he had the exact same experience. Go up to my suite, which was usually, you know, 1,100, 1,200 square feet, gigantic, big TVs everywhere, bars. I had one that had a stripper pole in the bathroom, but I would be by myself or with um, other card counters. I traveled with one or two other of the players. And um, I would go up into my casino room, and I would order some real simple meal, you know, like a club sandwich, um, and then I would just sit in the chair, no, no music, 
on television and just look out the window over the strip and feel lonely because you felt isolated. You know, the, you can't be open with the casino, who you are. And when you're open with your, your Christian friends, they're either way too excited about it or they think you're doing the most evil thing in the world. In the end, the church team split up in 2011. And not because any of them succumbed to gambling or any other temptation. They believed in God and his glorious gift of math. But apparently God gave none of them the patience of Job needed to endure the mind-numbing work of card counting. So they all went their separate ways, even though many worked only half-time, 20-hour weeks, and earned a full-time wage, around $40,000 a year. It wasn't worth it. Mike now sells cell phones to pay for his studies at a pastor's college, and he intends to start a church when he gets out. Shirley returned to being a stay-at-home mom. Even Ben and Colin bailed to take new jobs. Colin starts websites now, and Ben says he makes more money from doing internet marketing than he did from playing blackjack. God works in mysterious ways. Sometimes he enlightens you like Paul on the road to Damascus, a blinding epiphany convincing you to quit your old ways. Other times... God gets you to virtue by boring you to death. It's impossible to live life without regrets. I know that I have a lot of regrets. Blackjack being one of them. I did it because I wanted my wife to stay at home. I wanted to start a family. There was a thousand other ways to come at that. But God, in his mercy, protected me and still worked through it. But... If I could do it over again, I would definitely choose a different path. Sometimes you don't have that opportunity or that luxury of choosing a different path, though. Sometimes you have circumstances where this is what you you have. These are the cards that are dealt to you, and you have to make the best of that situation. And that's the reality of life. Life doesn't always fall ideal path. A lot of people, they want to do the right birthing method. Well, the right birthing method is the healthiest birthing method for your circumstances. So don't get stuck on home birth or be anti-hospital. Just do what's best for you, your wife, and your baby in that given time. Beware of idealism. Idealism will rob you of reality. But I can remember looking into my bedroom and seeing my bride hold my little baby boy in her arms laying in our bed and I knew that I was capable of doing something amazing I was capable of creating a brand new heritage not one of hell but one of heaven a first generation Christian household and you can do the same